You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games. As long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Howdy folks, Cameron Amal T here at The Ready, and this is another podcast for The Broken Meeple, episode 76, I believe, if I'm counting right. Yes, there's been a bit of a delay since the last one, because the last time I could do a podcast, I had just finished the 24-hour gaming marathon that I talked about, so the Cots for Tots charity, uh, that, that big event. Oh, I did it, did the full 24 hours, so thanks to everybody who supported me through that, but man, the last few hours were a bit of a slog. <laughs> it really did sort of take it out of me, that one. I had to drive 10 minutes to a local campsite, kip in the car for about an hour, and then about an hour, hour and a half. And then once I felt confident enough to drive the rest of the way home, I drove home and had the mother of all naps, like a four or five hour nap, and then relaxed for the evening with some catch-up TV, had a bath, had another early night. Yeah, I certainly relaxed that day. Actually, no, did I go? No, I, I also played Valheim. Yeah, so <laughs> that was also part of the evening, but... Yeah, it was a great event, so, you know, well done to Dan and his crew for arranging it. I probably will be there next year. Um, Apparently, there's going to be a mini one, a 12-hour one in January. I don't know if I'll be at that. Uh, It depends on timing, depends on when it is, and whether I'll be in that neck of the woods, but we'll see. But certainly in the next 24-hour one, it would be good to do another charity one because it's for a good cause. You know, Paul Grogan and a bunch of other people there, whose turn is anyway podcast was there, you know, and it's just, yeah, it was just generally a good time and event. But needless to say, you can't expect me to record a podcast YouTube show straight after a 24-hour event unless you literally want me sleeping at the screen like... You know, literally slurring my words. That's pretty much the state I would have been in. So I think you were better off not having that as a podcast. But needless to say, i got to do another one today because next week... I won't be around because from Friday to Friday, I will be up in the Lake District up in the UK with my family because we've got 18 of us <laughs> collating together for a reset week where we just shut off from the blog, shut, well, in my case, shut off from the blog and shut off from work and stuff, but it's to celebrate my parents' golden anniversary. They've been married for 50 plus years, and well, 50 plus, 50 years, anyway, it's golden anniversary, but yeah, 50 years, and yeah, it's a massive celebration with all of us there. That's going to be a pretty nice week. I can survive long enough with my family, you know, <laughs> to survive a week, I believe, but, you know, it would just be nice to reset because Work's been quite stressful lately. Other aspects of my life have been quite stressful lately. I won't go into details, but yeah, it's suffice to say they're mellowing out a bit now, but I could really use the reset week. I think it's just kind of piled up a bit. Handycom was last weekend, though, so that was good to get a break. Um, Paul Harris's uh, crew does that one, and we do, what, like three or four Handycons a year? And they're just nice and casual. And I think the fact that the numbers have dwindled in the sense that they're not taking on as many people because of hotel restrictions, I think actually benefits the con. I've enjoyed the last couple of handy cons way more than the previous ones. Not not to say I didn't enjoy the previous ones, but these ones I've liked to 
especially more because I just think having less people makes it more cozy, more more spacious, you know, more intimate in a sense. It just felt like a nicer, relaxing con. I think when you get too many numbers at a convention that's just there to play games, you risk you run the risk of it being bloated and unmanageable. And Aircon has that problem, I find these days. Uh, Aircon has now started to get a little bit too big for its britches, and you know, as I mean, it's. There's more than one reason why I don't go to Aircon anymore. Main reason being the uh, five, six hour drive to get there is a bit of a mission for a weekend convention. But the the idea with that one is that obviously that's now got lots of people. It's got a big venue and all that lot. And it's just a bit too big for my liking. You know, if I want a giant convention, I'll go to UK Games Expo. I'll go to Essen, you know. And, you know, Sarah Shah has been telling me, it's like, you've got to come to PAX Unplugged. You've got to come to an American convention. If I could afford it, I would. It's not like I don't want to go to an American convention. I mean, people I know have gone to Gen Con at the moment. It's like, there is no way I can afford Gen Con in the middle of the summer and, you know, still manage it. And even then, Gen Con would just probably be a bit too much for me. But I'll look at PAX Unplugged. I will look. It's on the east coast of the continent, which means it's a bit easier and cheaper to get to. I'm told the Airbnbs in the, uh, is it Philadelphia or Indianapolis? I can't remember. It's one of the two. But in that area are cheaper, according to Sarah. And I, I can apply for a media badge. I don't know if they'll accept me or not, but it's worth a shot. As long as I can pay for the flight and get a week off work, probably, which, you know, is the harder bit. But... You know, in December, flights might not be that expensive to come to the US, at least comparable to normal. Who knows? I'll look into it. No promises, especially for this year, because it is quite short notice. But, you know, if I can't do this year, I'll look into it next year. It might be pretty sweet. You know, I would like to go to an American convention. I hear good things about PAX Unplugged. So, you know, um, and this is on the East Coast, so PAX Unplugged east in december i think it is uh, so not the not the one that's in las vegas i think that's another one uh, i'm talking about the east one so yeah you know i'll certainly look into it because i think that's probably going to be the most accessible con that i can possibly go to and manage but i might need some assistance we shall see um anything else on the horizon well i mean I mean, GridCon, obviously, in November, Essen in October I'll be going to, other small conventions, another HandyCon, another Shake, Bat and Roll. Uh, Midgard is happening this year in September, so I've been invited up uh, by the hosts of Midgard in Iceland. So I will be there, and I believe so will Dave and Ilka Loser. So, uh, you know, Loser Balooza and all that. So, yeah, we're going to be there, and... uh, I'm looking forward to that one. I mean, besides being a brand new convention, it's Iceland. I finally get to go visit Iceland. I've wanted to visit Iceland for so long, and now I finally can do it. So, yeah, definitely looking forward to the last part of this year when it's cooler temperatures. Although, to be fair, it's a bit warm at the moment because I have to close the windows in order to do this podcast. But it's certainly cooled down a bit in the UK lately because of all the rain and stuff we've had. So I'm kind of welcoming that. All right, take a little bit of a sweep, but yeah, for the most part, <clears throat> things are okay. You know, just a little bit stressed lately, but things are back on the move, and certainly, you know, more reviews have come out. So if I present my screen, we can hopefully see. Yes, so not a huge amount in the last couple of weeks because I was taking a little bit of a break, but to sort out some of these stress bits. But the expeditions review that I did with Scythe, oh my god, that has exploded like crazy. Ten and a half thousand views and still over a 90% engagement rating. That is insane for any review I've done. And it goes to show that I'm kind of happy because Marvel Dagger was also a full review 
and that got a lot of views as well. So it's it's good to see that the ones that take a lot more effort actually do get some of those views as a reward. But, you know, surprisingly, the top 10 X and Right games hasn't been quite as popular as most top 10 lists. But as I say, it was good to do it. But yeah, thank you for everybody who's watched the Expeditions review and spoken constructively about it. Because I had pros and cons to say about the game, and it looks like it's been reciprocated a lot. Now, there was a little bit of, you know, stuff in there about, like, you know, myself and Stonemaier Games and that. But Jamie Stonemaier and I have had a nice little chat, and, you know, everything's all cleared up, so things are good there. But other than that, yeah, Race to the Raft, nice little co-op game. By all means, check out my review on that. And of course, recently I have just put out the War of the Ring card game review uh, from a 2v2 perspective. So by all means, check out that review as well. Stuff on the horizon includes Skulk Hollow and Mole Peak, which I'll do as a double bill. Uh, the... Uh, rebuilding Seattle from WizKids. I've played some solo games. I need to play some multiplayer games of that. And anything else? Oh yes, Barcelona from Board and Dice. That's also on my agenda. I've pretty much got to the stage where I can review that one. Won't take long to get Rebuilding Seattle reviewed. And then I just need to get some plays of Skulk Hollow and Mole Peak, which is a little bit more tricky because they're two-player games. But I am going to combine them into the four-player game and see how I get on there. Uh... Other than that, the only new acquisition I can think of is uh, Pandemic Legacy Season Zero. Yes, uh, I haven't bought it for review purposes, so I might just do a uh, a report on how it's played. But my group who played the other legacies with me have said, right, you know, we've got a bit more time on our hands. It'd be nice to play another campaign game. Well, Pe Pandemic Legacy Season Zero is the legacy we have not played yet. But people keep telling me that despite the fact that it looks like garbage in terms of its aesthetics... It's still a really, really good legacy game. So I'm giving it a shot. We'll start that, I think, this Wednesday. And I'll, you know, I'll give a report maybe like on the next podcast or the one after and tell you how things are going. But yeah, you know, things are on the mend. And obviously when I get back from the Lake District, you know, we'll try and do some more top 10 collaborations. Um, I spoke to a lovely couple um, at HandyCon, uh, Cardboard Champions. Uh, we had a really good fun game of uh, Marvel Champions with pre-constructed decks against Green Goblin, of which we won. Uh, and it was good to play with some people who actually knew the game better than I did by Miles. But, you know, yeah, we might do some top 10 thing together. I think they wanted to do a top 10 cooperative games list. So, you know, we could do something like that. And then maybe in the long term, we could do some top 10 Marvel Champion related thing. But I need to play a little bit more Marvel Champions in order to be able to do that. So we'll see. Other than that, yes, I've still overdue to ask Sam Healy to do a top 10 with me. And obviously there's more people who could do top 10s with. So, yeah, we need to get these live stream collaborations back up because they're popular. They're fun to do. If I can just get my throat to last long enough, I really don't know why my throat is like in perpetual, uh, you know, post-nasal drip or whatever it's called mode. Uh, it must be something to do with the summer. It must be something to do with maybe when I last had laryngitis. I don't know. But maybe things will improve as we get out of the summer months. We shall see. Anyway, on with the show. So, uh, first up... I mean, there's only really two things I'm going to do here today. First off, I need to talk about a game I've played, and then I'm going to go into detail about the recent Dice Tower Award. So first up, let's have a look, if I can find my window, there we go, to talk about a game that I have just been introduced to called Path of Light and Shadow. This is a old, fairly, well, not too old, I mean 2017, a Kickstarter release from Indie Board and Cards. I had heard of it, but I never really took much interest in it at the time. But if I'd known more, but, uh, know more about it, I might have given it a little bit more 
interest this is an area control game with deck buildings i think something like tyrants of the underdark and the designers and the artists in that are actually people you might be familiar with. I mean, Jonathan Gilmore is one of the designers on the game, so is Travis Chance. But then also in the artist list, Beth Sobel did some of the art in this, which I would have never guessed had I looked at this. But, you know, that's got some pretty nice art in places, and some of it's a little bit less so. But all in all, it's a decent-looking game. But what it essentially boils down to is... Area control for controlling um, provinces on the board to score some victory points. But the main focus, and this is where things like Dune Imperium sort of falter for me, is that Dune Imperium is more about the area control and the combat side. Path of Light and Shadow is more about the deck building side. You have a starter deck, you play your cards, and they've got multiple uses, and you can manually cull your cards, you can recruit, you have to automatically recruit more cards at the end of the turn, a bit like in Fort. And all these cards have got upgrades, so you can promote them, as you can see here. The Conscript can promote into the Guard, who's a slightly better card, and then you can promote that into the Captain, who's like the top tier of that card. And there's all sorts of other little you know, trees that, you know, like tier trees for these various cards. So here we go, Harbour Trader turns into a Harbour Corsair, turns into a Harbour Privateer, and you get cool bonuses and stuff for them. And there's all sorts of these different factions, but you can also start with some advisors that give you like a unique asymmetric card as well. This map here is essentially the provinces, and they'll have these uh, sort of plastic towers all over them i wonder if i can actually find a picture of those and these towers affect it yeah these tower blocks just represent the defense of the area and you can go attack it and conquer those areas and they'll score you victory points at various times but what really makes this game for me and it's not perfect i've played it twice now and i do have some problems with it but overall this is a game i do really enjoy mainly because this deck building side of things is the focus of the game it's it's you know yes you've got the area control and you certainly don't want to ignore it entirely to score some points but you know i'll try and find a better picture of the actual game because all i seem to be finding is cards and painted miniatures at the moment but uh, let's see that's not too that's a good that's a good enough picture so yes you've got to control these provinces and deal with that but the deck building part, all those decks around the edge of the board there are different factions. So when you're in an area, depending on its terrain, you recruit from a random deck of cards, but different factions will appear more often in certain areas. And then those are the ones that you promote into the specific faction cards, which give you some more unique abilities and obviously more powerful cards. And you also have a building board, a bit like what you see in things like... Uh, it's not Age of Empires, is it Clash of Empires? Or Clash of Cultures? You know, Clash of Cultures and various other Civ games where you can build upgrades that, you know, give you, again, more unique abilities. So you, uh, if I can find an example, that would be great. There's too many uh, people showing off their painted boards here. But let's see, is there one? Is anybody going to show me pictures of what I find useful? Uh, I suppose that will do. So you've got this board here, and it's got the upgrade, so you can build the first building, which will give you some bonus, the second building builds you another bonus, third building builds you another bonus, and you've got them all in the different factions, so you need to have the cards of the factions in order to build those various buildings, and different factions work in different ways. This is an enjoyable game. You know, I love the deck building part of this. It gives you lots of options, lots of different paths to victory, you know, these buildings uh, factions that you go for i mean if you go for the hordes of zerd you're generally quite conquest heavy if you go for the common folk it's uh, easier to promote cards if you go for the sigilborn it's easier to build and defend yourself and they've all got other scoring opportunities at the end and it's just a really solid 
deck building party area control i can take or leave i mean i don't like the fact that it uses dice which is um, a little bit of a problem it does use dice to resolve the combat and yes you can mitigate that dice in several ways but you could get hosed on the die roll at the worst time and that and the game is not short i mean you are talking a two to three hour game here it can really hurt when that happens so it's a little bit annoying in that respect but the deck building part love it i've got all these cards i can pick a faction pick different buildings and try a different path to victory i've tried a conquest heavy strategy i've tried a promotion heavy strategy both were fun to do although we'll talk about that second one in a minute and you know the little mechanic here at the side of the board where you can be cruel or merciful is fine there's some cards that benefit from it but that's about all the cruel and merciful track is i was hoping it would be a bit more important but it's generally a pretty solid game. And a quick swig of the tea there. Soothe the throat. But the issue with this game is kind of twofold. I mean, first, it is quite long. I did find it quite long. But, you know, with three or less players, it's fine. I think having four players is kind of not necessary. The only problem is if you play it with two, you'd probably have too much room on the board because the board doesn't scale, which is a bit of a problem. But the other problem is that dice that I did mention. So base game Path of Light and Shadow is still pretty good, just a couple of problems that I have, but they don't kill the game. We've also played it, though, both times with the Path of Light and Shadow Solstice expansion, and this is where things kind of derail a little bit. This is an expansion that uh, got released a few years later, and my friend has this as well, and we played both games with this faction. It basically bolsters up the Numerai faction, which is like a purple sort of random outsiders thing. Gives you these relics that you can grab, which give you some whopping great big powerful ability as a one-shot. But they also introduce another faction, the Veritas, with these like goat people, as I basically call them. And you've got another bit of the building board to build stuff for them. Uh, it also introduces these title cards, which allow you to start with uh, various, you know, differences to your starting setup which is really cool uh you know and boost you on a merciful or cruise um, crucible cru uh, cruelty track as necessary and you've got some more of these advisors and stuff like that so there is some cool like extra variety stuff in here as well as more of the paths for the normal cards but here's the big two problems with this game with this expansion to be more precise the relics range from eh, they're okay situational to downright broken in terms of how powerful they are they have not been balanced at all and it really does cause some major swings having those relics now you mainly get the relics for going to this little sideboard area and chipping away at those little towers and they get you the various relics but these relics i mean if you've got an engine it gets you more and more relics oh my word they are stupidly powerful but here's the other problem with this game these and to be honest this is the main problem i could live without those relics because frankly you could take them out of the game and remove the sideboard and i wouldn't really care but this druid factor sorry these like veritas faction the goat faction they are without a doubt in my mind utterly broken absolutely broken these are stupidly powerful in the first game i played of this we mostly ignored these characters one person went to get the relics i ignored that board entirely and pretty much played the game as if i was just playing the base game and i uh, i think i won uh yeah i did win that game with a conquest fairly heavy strategy but i didn't touch this goat faction and nor did one player who was on that board so they didn't get much use this time though two of us in the last game went very heavy on this goat faction in two different ways though the uh, my other 
my friend basically went more for conquest and uh, manipulating the whole flipping between uh, cruelty and merciful with this doubt mechanic where you basically change alignment all the time. But he was using it to get a lot of relics. So he had a lot of powerful effects and a lot of really janky turns, which caused him a, basically a brain hemorrhage because he had to constantly think about what the hell he was doing on his turn. And we'll get to the other problem with that in a minute. But I went heavy on the goats to use their various abilities. Because they've got all these things where if you promote them, if you build with them, if you conquer with them, you get some cool benefit, like extra actions. These extra actions that you get compound to a sense where this, where the goat faction just becomes ridiculous. Like, ridiculously overpowered. They allow you to get more relics. They allow you to conquer areas that are four defense or less without any chance of defending. They let you promote stuff for, like, massive discounted costs. It's just ridiculous. And I thought... I went for the promote heavy strategy, so I was just promoting cards left and right. I thought it was going to be a closer game. I absolutely trounced everybody. You know, the end game points I scored with Exalted Domain and a couple of other end game scoring buildings, I had something like 51 points in just promoted cards in my deck. Bear in mind the scoreboard only goes up to 50, <laughs> and I also had about another 26 points from Exalted Domain. So, like, I think I finished with something like 120, 130 odd points. And possibly even more than that, and two-thirds of my point scoring was down to just simply the cards in my deck. It was kind of ridiculous. And it just meant that our, also meant that our turns were three, four times longer than the other two players' turns. Because they had really simple stuff to do with the base factions, and we had all these janky things going off. It just... It takes a game that was a bit more elegant to begin with, and makes it very clunky. I don't think this faction is balanced. I think they're too powerful. I mean, the two best players that game were me and my mate, and we both used heavy on the goats. You know, I mean, that's proof enough, I think. But I would happily play this game without that expansion, I feel. I mean, I would want these title cards because they are cool, but I could live without them if they weren't in the game. It's a shame to lose the extra building board because you no longer have the Veritas faction, but then I guess maybe you could keep the board and just simply use the uh, the new purple buildings. I mean, that'd be fine. I don't see how that would unbalance the game. As long as you just take out everything that relates to the goat faction, I think you'd still have a pretty decent game and remove that sideboard with the relics. Yeah, you know what? Just take out the entire expansion. I don't think Solstice improves this game. I think Solstice actually makes it worse. And so... I want to play this game more, but if I do get to play the game, I want to try it without the expansion in it at all. Like, it's not even there as a temptation and see how it plays. I've got a feeling that this game will work better for me without Solstice in it. Um, but with it in, I think it just wasn't developed well enough. You know, I think it needed more time in the oven and, you know, not enough playtesting was done. I mean, they lost one designer in it. Uh, Gilmore is not one on the designer list. And it looks like the publisher changed as well because it's not indie boarding cards. It went to Stronghold Games at that point. So maybe there was a bit of a mishmash of what things were needed. But yeah, I don't personally recommend Solstice if you're going to get Path of Light and Shadow. But Path of Light and Shadow in general, minus a couple of issues I have, is still a fun game. I'd overall give the game an 8. Um, 8 out of 10. I think it's great. Uh, but it can't really reach uh, distinction levels because I don't quite like the fact that it uses dice combat. It is quite long, and the expansion does hurt it quite a bit. So I'm giving it an 8 out of 10 overall. 
But yeah, an interesting game. I'd been wanting to play it when my mate mentioned it, and we finally got to play at HandyCon and last Friday, and yeah, I'm glad we did. Hopefully he'll want to play it again, though, because he wasn't too happy after our last game because of the way it went when we overpowered the goat factions. As I say, it ruined the game for him. It didn't exactly make our... You know, it made my victory feel hollow because I just felt like I'd gotten away with murder with the most overpowered cards imaginable. And it, uh, yeah, Solstice really threw a bit of a burner on the game, but I want to try it without. Most week of the tea. Right. Let's move on to the main thing. There's not really much in the way of gaming news at the moment. Um, you know, I suppose one little bit of news to add. Uh, I've got, I've been asked to do a sponsored video for uh, the World Series of Board Games, uh, this big tournament uh, setting that happens over in Las Vegas. And they've asked me to do a sponsored video and I'll be putting that out hopefully before I go to the Lake District, if not after. Uh, which, well, hopefully I can get it edited before I go to the Lake District and then maybe I'll just schedule it for when I'm over there. But I hope to get it out. I need to get it out in August. So it's definitely coming out in August one way or the other. And this is basically a sponsored video where I get to give my thoughts, uh, honest thoughts, on what I think of all the games that are being shown at the tournament. So 16 main games and I think eight other new ones or something like that. But basically I'm going to go quick fire through all of them to say whether I think they're good or bad games, uh, whether I think I'd be good in a tournament in those games, whether I think they're suitable for a tournament it's just to give an overview on a bunch of games and there's a lot of big titles in there so that'll be quite a nice whiz through a bunch of games where you can get my honest thoughts that should be pretty fun right uh, but yes that's pretty much it for news so let's have a look at the dice tower awards now this is and now i'm having to basically get the list for you from reddit because I can't seem to find a decent list of the nominations. And apparently, because the Dice Tower Awards literally only announced, I think, the other day, it's a little bit too soon for it to be on their website. So thankfully, somebody on, I think, on their Facebook page, they do have the winners on there. So I'm going to have to kind of flip between the two. But this Reddit page will at least show me the nominations. And then I will go through the winners. Now, I have had a little bit of a look at the award winners, so I do kind of know who's won. So this isn't so much a surprise for me as other ones are. But I just wanted to give my quick thoughts on the categories and which what I thought were the nominations, which ones I voted for, and which ones actually won. Because I do vote on these awards. I'm on the panel for nominations and the actual uh, voting of these. So I have had a hand in these things and from looking at the award winners I approve of some I don't approve of others and so I will basically uh, give you my honest thoughts as to what I think about the winners on that one but yeah without further ado let's have a look so let's see how I can do this uh, there's probably going to be some spoilers in terms of a yeah it's a big page you're going to get spoiled for all these winners if you're watching it um, on YouTube but there's not much I can really do about that. I can't use this as a scrolling function on Facebook. So let's start off with Best Party Game. Best Party Game was won by Ready, Set, Bet from John DeClaire. And this one had, let's see, Party Game was, nominations were, where's Party Game? Where's Party Game? Where's Party Game? There it is. Blood on the Clock Tower, Feed the Kraken, Green Team Wins. I've never even heard of that one. Phantom Inc. and Ready, Set, Bet. It's been a bit of a slow period for party games, really. I mean, you know my thoughts on Blood on the Clock Tower. I would like it to burn in hell. I've never played Freed the Kraken, but I would like to. I've never heard a green team wins, not played Ready, Set, Bet, although it doesn't really sound like a game I would enjoy. I have played Phantom Inc. I've even reviewed it on the channel, so you can check that out. I like Phantom Inc. as a party game. I would have probably given... I think I probably gave my vote for that one. 
but I don't have much experience with this category, so I, I either voted for Phantom Inc. or I abstained from this category because I didn't really have much, like, knowledge in this area. But Ready, Set, Bet's popular with a bunch of people. I mean, if anything, I'm just glad that Blood on the Clock Tower didn't win it. So uh, even if I'm not too fussed about who won it, I'm just glad that one particular party didn't win it. So I'll go with that. All right, let's go down the list on the left-hand side. So Best Cooperative Game, Return to Dark Tower won it. And this is one that I'm not a fan of. Um, Core Quest, Lands of Galzir, Nemesis Lockdown, Return to Dark Tower, and Star Wars The Clone Wars. Now... I don't know what, um, I can't remember if it was out of the running, but I'm pretty sure I voted for Frostpunk, and I don't know if it was a case that Frostpunk had missed out on the timing, or not enough people voted on it, but yeah, I'm very, I have a feeling it was allowed, but even then, I would have gladly voted for Frostpunk. The fact that Core Quest, Lands of Galzir, and Star Wars The Clone Wars managed to get on that list, and yet you know, Frostpunk didn't, doesn't make any sense to me. But then again, maybe, you know, maybe, I oh know, Frostpunk, Frostpunk's on a different list. So, you know, it could have appeared. I mean, it could have been on this list. And I certainly nominated Frostpunk. I did not care about these. I mean, Nemesis Lockdown? Seriously, who plays Nemesis Lockdown as a cooperative these days? Most people play it as the, you know, the ace, the... Uh, you know, the the uh, what to call it the semi co-op version. So for that to get in and not Frostpunk, it's frankly criminal. But I've got no interest in Core Quest. I've not played Lands of Galzir, Star Wars: The Clone Wars. Would be do. It's just another pandemic. Um, Return to Dark Tower. I have to be honest. I've not played Return to Dark Tower, but nothing about it interests me. I've got no knowledge of the original game. Uh, you know, I mean Isaac Childress and stuff like that on the list of designers. I don't like Gloomhaven, so that's not exactly helping big it up for me. I'd give it a try if someone put it in front of me. Honestly, I would. I'd like to try it, but nothing about it is really sounding like it would be a game I would enjoy. So this was a very disappointing category for me overall. Right, best reprint. Cat in the Box, the Deluxe Edition. I mean, Cat in the Box is a fine trick-taking game, although it's not blowing me away as much as it is for other people, but maybe I just need to play it some more. I've only played it a couple of times, and I don't know many people that are into trick-taking games, which doesn't help, but... You know, I do like it, but I think I just need to give it more ideas. But Castles of Mad King Ludwig Collector's Edition. Wow, that was a good reprint. Get on board. Very good reprint. Libertine Layer. Nope. Did not like the art style and the uh, thing for that. And Return to Dark Tower. Apparently Cat in the Box uh, did it. I mean, it's a reprint of a card game trick-taking game. I mean, what more can you really do to big it up as a reprint? So that was a bit of a weird one to win it. I... I mean, I really like the Castles of Mad King Ludwig Collector's Edition. It's a really nice reprint, but it is really expensive, so maybe that's why it didn't get much buzz. But Get On Board, a reprint of a Let's Make a Bus Route, is really, really solid. I mean, I might have given my vote to that one. It's a really cool little game. I think I've reviewed it on the channel. By all means, I'd give that one a look-see. But maybe I just need to give Cat in the Box more plays and find some actual trick-taking fans. That would be pretty sweet. Best solo game. This is Criminal. Return to Dark Tower. So Return to Dark Tower gets best co-op and best solo. And yet I can't get Frostpunk to not only not win the solo one, but also I can't even get it nominated in the cooperative one. Oh, you bet I nominated for Frostpunk in there. And look, Batman The Dark Knight Returns, whatever that is, um, Frostpunk, Heat Petal to the Medal, 
which is a pretty good solo meme, I will say. Return to Dark Tower and Wayfarers of the South Tigris, that does have a pretty good solo mode as well. I guarantee you my three votes on this were Frostpunk, then Heat Pedal to the Metal, and Wayfarers of the South Tigris. I voted for all three of those when I had to do my first, second, and third choice. And yet Return to Dark Tower has taken it. At some point, I will hope to play this game, but if Return to Dark Tower doesn't blow my mind as an amazing game, I'm going to cry foul at everybody going mad for it. Because I nothing about it in, appeals to me, apart from the fact it's a co-op game. What is it about this Dark Tower game that is so good? Tell me in the comments, please, because I hear a lot of people say that this is a bad garbage game, but then I also hear a bunch of people just lord over it. And I've never seen it on the table. Who the hell is playing this? I've seen nobody in the United Kingdom play this game. So who is voting on this? Well, to be fair, a bunch of Americans, so maybe it's just popular in America, I don't know. But yeah, for Frostpunk to not get this is frankly criminal. Frostpunk is the better solo game, end of story. And if you want to know why, check out my review. Uh, best two-player game, finally, one that I can actually get behind. Yes, Splendor Jewel, and I definitely voted for this one. Caesar sees Roman 20 minutes. Boring, check out my review for that one. Wardering the card game. Interesting, though, because I've just reviewed that one, and I mean, it can work as a two-player game, but only if you control two decks apiece. And that's fine, but really the game shines as a 2v2 when you've got a teammate with you. But I could see it being in the nominations, and I think I probably did. Actually, no, I didn't vote on it because I hadn't played the two-player by that point. But I voted for Splendor Jewel, and in second place, Beer and Bread. I have no idea what Boop is. I mean, Boop? What the hell's Boop? But Beer and Bread, check out my review, is a really solid game. And Splendor Jewel, check out my review. It's an excellent game. Splendor Jewel is the way to play Splendor if you have two players. I know, I love Splendor, and I'll play Splendor with three or four players happily. But if I've got a choice between Jewel or Splendor as a two-player game, I'm playing Jewel. Jewel is just a really, really good one. I mean, not as good as Seven Wonders Duel for Seven Wonders, but, you know, by a long shot. But, man, it's a solid two-player game. And the fact that it's one pleases me finally one i can get behind to say i'm pleased with all right let's have a look best expansion uh dune imperium oh what was the surprise rise of Zizk. rise of x rise of nine i don't know i don't know what x is but i'm not for au fait with the dune law obviously but expansion i found this a bit of a cheat frankly when i saw the nominations dune imperium immortality and dune imperium rise of x ended up in the same nominations list did they really come out at the same time that they were able to get on the same awards ceremony list that just felt like a cheat you know to give two from the same game but then the fact that the fact that rise of x won boggles my mind because look at these other ones right wingspan asia now granted i've already done a review on that not the best expansion so fine viticulture world Pretty much nobody is playing Viticulture World anymore. I've done my review on it. It's an okay expansion, but I have not played the expansion since that review. And I think it's got too many problems. Not to mention I can't help playing it without remembering the uh, the tears controversy with that one. So that, you know, puts me off a bit. But, uh, you know, you know <laughs> I rolled my eyes with that. But the expansion Star Wars Outer Rim Unfinished Business. Are you kidding me? That is so much a better expansion than any of the Dune Imperium ones by miles. Of course I voted for Star Wars Outer Rim Unfinished Business. 
How did that not win? And I have played Dune Imperium with these expansions in there, Dune Imperium, Immortality, and Rise of Ix. And I admit the game has improved with them, but frankly, I think Immortality is a better expansion. It gives you a new set of cards. It gives you ways to cycle through the, the rubbish cards, the odd more ways to use cards or even trash cards. The Rise of Ix gives you that little sort of replacement board for you know, some of the worker placement spots, but I don't care about Dreadnoughts. The projects are, I can take or leave. It makes the game longer, I think, having Rise of Ix in there. Rise of Ix is an okay expansion, but it's not better than Immortality, and it in no way, shape, or form is it better than Unfinished Business. This is just Dune Imperium fanboys voting on this one, and it was just a case of which Dune Imperium expansion would win. But this is disappointing, guys. I'm sorry, but more people talk praise about how good Star Wars Outer Rim is for Unfinished Business than people talk about Rise of Ixes for Dune Imperium. I'm certain I see more of that talk on the internet. So, yeah, I'm surprised by that one. Uh, yeah, I say, not the best so far. I'm not exactly loving a lot of these finishes. Alright, best artwork, Flamecraft. Now, I can support this one to an extent, because Flamecraft does have nice artwork, even though it's a bit... It's basic artwork, but it's very cute and colourful artwork, so it does look nice. And to be honest, I mean, what do we have in the mix here? Endless Winter, Flamecraft, Merchants of the Dark Road, Trekking Through History, which I've still not played, I'd like to play that one, and Wonderland's War, which I have a... Some problems with, check out my review for that. I think I've reviewed Flamecraft, Endless Winter, Merchants of the Dark Road, and Wonderland's War. Man, I've reviewed a lot of games. <laughs> but, you know, check out my thoughts on those. Now, I voted more for Endless Winter and Wonderland's War than Flamecraft. I do think Flamecraft has some nice artwork in it. But as much as I have problems with the game of Wonderland's War, man, it looks good from the artwork perspective. I mean, that is a lovely cover. Uh, but Endless Winter, I think the artwork's great in it. I love the Miko's art style. I think Endless Winter is a gorgeous looking game when it's on the table. And I gave my props to that one. I would have liked that to have won. But as soon as I saw Flamecraft in the mix, I was like, hmm, I think it would struggle to beat Flamecraft. So I'm not surprised that it won. And honestly, I'm kind of cool that it won. You know, Flamecraft is a good looking game. So I can take my hat off for this one. <sighs> right, carrying on. Ooh, had to clear my nose and throat there a little bit. Uh, best production, Foundations of Rome. Foundations of Rome. Well, I mean, Endless Winter, Flamecraft, Foundations of Rome, Return to Dark Tower, Wonderlands War. I think I probably voted for this one as well. Because frankly, you can't deny that the production quality of Foundations of Rome is insane. It is a beautiful production. But we are only voting on this in terms of its production value. I can't recommend Foundations of Rome as an actual game because the game is fine. There's nothing particularly wrong with the game, but it's a fairly basic game that's not got a huge amount to it. Not a huge amount of replay value in it, to my extent. Maybe I need to play with some of the expansion modules or something because I've only played the basic game. But it's fine. It's a fine game, but not 150 to 200 pounds worth game. You know, it is overproduced like all get out. It could have been done at a much lower price point, And I just don't think it justifies its price tag. But we had to vote on this in terms of production value, not overall value. So, yes, I gave, I gave my vote to Foundations of Rome and I'm not surprised that it won it. All right, next up we have most innovative game. Turing Machine won this one. 
I think we've had a few logic deduction games in the past. I'm not sure I would call it that innovative, although to be fair, it does have some cool system of the uh, the because I have finally played Turing Machine. I played at last Handycom. My mate taught me it, and yes, I get the idea. Turing Machine is a fun little logic game. It is a solo game. We played it co-op. I managed to figure out the clue for the team in four moves. Like I think we had three variety things that we used, and then on the fourth one, like the first one on the next round, so four in total, we'd figured it out. So I was like, well, that was difficult. And then when I played competitive against them, I think I figured mine out a turn before he did, but again, we figured it out quite quick. Maybe we just need to use some of the more complicated variables in there, but I thought the game was going to be a little bit tougher to work out. I mean, I have more of a brain uh, mannerism you know, trying to figure out awkward guess and search for Planet X and the Lost Code. Lost Codes, man, that'll burn your brain out like crazy. Turing Machine just felt really easy. Like, it wasn't too difficult to narrow it down. But, you know, innovative, I could give it to it. I mean, let's face it, what else was on this list? 3,000 Scoundrels, which I've not played. Blood on the Clock Tower. I'm sorry, it's Werewolf with Extra Steps. That's not innovative. That's just insert crazy man acting like a wizard here and some tokens whoopee do uh, cat in the box it is pretty innovative for a trick taker it's very different so i could give uh, props to that one planet unknown what's innovative about that one it's a polyomino game where you lay tetris pieces and try to cover up a planet and level up some tracks that's been done before it's really not that innovative so I mean, yeah, you're pretty much talking between Cat in the Box and Turing Machine for me, and I can't remember what I voted for. I've got a feeling I voted for Cat in the Box, uh, but I think I gave a little bit of props to Turing Machine because even though I hadn't played it, I recognised what it was doing, and I thought, oh, that is different. But certainly I didn't give a vote for Planet Unknown or Blood in the Clock Tower, so uh, I would have liked to have seen Cat in the Box win it, but I'll take Turing Machine. If Blood in the Clock Tower had won this, I would have lost my shit. Absolutely lost my shit over this. I'm trying not to swear. And honestly, the thing is, what was getting on my nerves, as I mentioned about Blonde and the Clock Tower, a lot of the times it appeared in the nomination votes was because I think Jason Levine was going around all the various threads and popping it into every single thread. Even stuff like theming and production and, and you know various and innovative and stuff like that. He was putting it into like every single category because he adores this game, which I felt was a little bit... I'm glad it didn't quite win through too much. But yeah, I think it did pop onto a few of these sections when it really shouldn't have done. And just shut up about blood and the... Bloody Clock Tower, honestly, I'm sick and tired of that game. Um, yeah, I, I feel like it needs to be somewhere on my top 10 hated games at this point. I hate the game, and I hate everyone talking about it. It just annoys me. It angers me to hear about this game, and to see it constantly being played. Play better games. Right, uh, let's see. Um, best small publisher, Flamecraft. Yeah, there's a small publisher, and Flamecraft is fine. I don't think it's an amazing game, but it's fine. I think I gave it a 7, and over time, I think that would go down to a 6. But, I mean, again, thankfully, Blood and the Clock Tower didn't win it, which I'm kind of surprised by, actually, given how many people play it. Core Quest, couldn't see that winning it. I mean, it will do what it says on the tin. It's a, D it's a dungeon call for kids, but not enough people are playing that one. Flamecraft, Planet Unknown, Free Sisters... Three Sisters, people were talking about that one with my roll and write list. And a mate of mine had the game, was selling it, asked me if I wanted it. And I said, nah, because I'd heard, I mean, for starters, you were selling it. So that didn't exactly uh, sing praises for it. But I've heard people say it's boring and I've heard people say it's great. Um, I'll add it to my list at some point. I would like to try Three Sisters. Would it, uh... oh God, that reminds me. I need to, 
I'll say at the end of this video, I won't interrupt this section with it, but I need to make a small apology for the X and right list. Um, so we'll get onto that later. Not to do with Free Sisters, to do with another game. But yeah, Thanecraft, small publisher. It makes sense. I think I voted for it. Uh, best new designer, Acropolis. This was certainly surprising. I mean, I've reviewed Acropolis. It's a fine game. I don't think it's amazing. But then, to be honest, what was I left with? Blood on the Clock Tower, Boop, Core Quest, and Starship Captains. Um, yeah, I can't remember which one I voted for. I got a feeling I might have voted for Acropolis because Acropolis is a 7 out of 10 at most. You know, eventually that will probably be a 6. But I think it's a 7. It's fine. It does what it says on the tin. It is quick. It's easy to play. And it does what it says. But there really wasn't a lot of good stuff in this category for me. I mean, the only other one that I would have put my stop behind was Starship Captains um, from Peter Hofgard. And, you know, Starship Captains was fine again. I think I gave it a 7. And it, you know, it's not one that I own anymore. I'd play it if it was on the table, but it's not one that I would specifically request. So the new designer category just really didn't have a lot of stuff in its, um, you know, shortlist. And once the nominations came up, I was kind of restricted on which ones I could vote for on there. But, you know, well done to, uh, uh, what's his name? Du -du 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 -du. Jules Massoud? 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 I don't know how to pronounce his name, but uh, well done to you. Fear, what's next? Best strategy game. Endless Winter took that uh, uh, one away. And what were the nominations in this one? I forget. Uh, strategy game, Carnegie, Endless Winter. Planet Unknown, Planet Unknown strategy game, yeah, play it with six players and tell me it's a strategy game at that point. Wayfarers of the South Tigris and Woodcraft. I've reviewed Endless Winter, I've reviewed Planet Unknown, I've reviewed Wayfarers and I've reviewed Woodcraft. I have not reviewed Carnegie because I've not played enough games of it, although I have played a couple of games of it. But I just don't think Carnegie is that, that great. I mean, you have stuff to do on your own player board, which is fine it's just moving meeples to different places for their effects that's kind of fun the whole 20 actions thing is fine but the problem is if you play it with two player it's great if you play it with four player then you have control over only one quarter of the game so the same problem with planet unknown when you play with six is regurgitated in carnegie when you play it with four and i don't like the idea that i'm basically basing how I, well i do in the game by what other players choose out of the actions when you've got no idea what actions are going to choose there's no way you can gauge what they'll pick you know, all the way through it's just not going to happen and then you've got that map where you can get blocked out of key positions really easily, which just screws you over. It throws in a pointless route connection thing, like Ticket to Ride style. It's, I don't think Carnegie's that great, honestly. I don't see the big hoo-ha with it. So I voted on, I think I voted on Wayfarers of the South Tigris with this one, because I really like that game. I really like that game, and that was definitely my favorite. But then I also gave props to Endless Winter, and I don't think I voted on the other two. I think I stuck to those two. We're basically told that if we don't like the game, we simply don't vote for it. And if we haven't played the game, we obviously don't vote for it. We put our first, second, and third choices restricted by our knowledge of what the games are in there. So I gave one to Wayfarers and two to Endless Winter. If Endless Winter wins it, fine. I like both games, although Endless Winter does have some problems. And the biggest one being that it's a bit too easy in solo mode, even when until you throw in like the expert variants that they've come out with. But also that you just end up with way too much at the end of the game. Like the tightness that you feel in round one is completely gone by round three because you just have so much stuff. There's a variant which apparently restricts what you have in the first round, which curbs that a bit. I have yet to play the game with that variant, but I'd be interested to know your thoughts 
if you have played with the variant that restricts your uh, early game so you don't end up with so much by the late game and I'd like to know if it improves the game or not for you because if I need to try it with it but if it doesn't work I might be put off wanting to keep this game because it is the biggest problem with the game as much as I do enjoy it and it's quite a big problem it's not just a small one it's pretty big all right next now uh, we got three more to go uh best theming and uh, uh best theming was this one that I lost my rag over uh yes yeah I lost my rag over this one because my father's work took the victory for this. And I have not played my father's work, but when I see people playing this for five, six hours on a convention day, I'm like, yeah, too long, too long, too long. But Heat Pedal to the Metal, Nemesis Lockdown, which just feels like a cop-out considering Nemesis... Nemesis and Nemesis Lockdown are the same game, frankly. They are so similar, they are the same game. To appear in two separate award lists, I think is cheating. Return to Dark Tower and Wonderland's War... Wonderland's Wars theming is fun, but I don't know if I would say it... I mean, you could put pretty much any theme on Wonderland's War and it would still work. Heat Pedal to the Metal is definitely a very cool thematic um, racing game for how it works. <clears throat> Nemesis is thematic, but it's just a cheat to have it on two lists. And I don't know about Return to Dark Tower, but I was like... I was pushing hard for Frostpunk on this. How did Frostpunk not get on here? I mean, you put a repeat of Nemesis on here. You put Dark Tower on here. You put Wonderland's War on here. And yet you didn't even get Frostpunk into the nominations list. That is a crime. Frostpunk's theme is so strong. So watertight. Oh my word. That should have just been strongest theming game by default. Like, I would have thrown in my, you know, if you had a card to say that I can veto any particular category and just choose the winner, Frostpunk would have gone on the theming one easily. It should have at least hit the nominations. Now, my father's work, from what I can tell, does have a very strong theme to it. So, I can't comment on the game itself, but from what I look at, what I've seen of it, it does look like it's got a very cool theme and it does look like it represents it very well. So I will give props for that. Certainly if any of the others had won this category, I would have flipped my lid. But no Frostpunk on the nominations, for crying out loud. Sometimes I just lose... I, I fear for the sanity of the human race. You know, you, ever, you remember that the Farnsworth Futurama meme? I was like, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. And then he goes off to another place or something. It's like... So there are times when that meme comes into play where I just look at some of the way these awards turn out and I'm just like, I don't want to live on this planet anymore. Best welcoming game, Flamecraft. I mean, it's welcoming in the sense that it's got the cutesy dragon theme, but I think there's quite a lot going on in it to make it that welcoming. I mean, it can flummox gateway gamers. I certainly wouldn't put it in front of a gateway gamer. Now, I tend to underestimate how well kids can get into games. I would still struggle to put it in front of some kids, but apparently people are having good times with it as family, so what do I know on that front? But who are the nominations for welcoming? Uh, Acropolis Boop. What is Boop? Hang on, I'm going to look up Boop. What is Boop? Boop. Boop, 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 beady, boop, beady, boop, beady, boop. Uh, what is this? Boop cats off the bed. Before they boop yours. Adorable and challenging. I have never heard of this game. An abstract game for two players. Oh yeah, because it was on the two player list. I mean, it's cutesy. Looks very 
basic. I suppose it would be a welcoming game, but I have never heard of that game. <laughs> where did that come in? And where else did it feed you? It was just in the two-player section, wasn't it? Yeah, okay, it fits, but I have never heard of this one. Flamecraft, Ready, Set, Bet, and Trekking Through History also in the welcoming category. I think Ready, Set, Bet doesn't fit in the welcoming category. I mean, what people are you going to welcome to the game's hobby with a speed game? I think speed games are very stressful for people, and that I would never put as a welcoming game. Now, I think most of those were a fair play to win. I'm kind of surprised that Flamecraft would have beaten something like Boop, I suppose, and after looking at it. I do need to give Trekking Through History a play, though. I have not played that game, and I keep seeing it on people's lists. I reckon I'm going to be disappointed by it, because I'm going to be like, ooh, everybody's hyped this game up like crazy, and now suddenly it's like, oh, is that it? All right, fine. So, I guess we'll see, but... But, you know, that's not too bad a category. I can give props to Flamecraft. Right, here we go then. The big one. The game of the year was... Heat Pedal to the Metal. Which I'm kind of fine with, really. Because I voted for several on here. And Heat Pedal to the Metal was... I think that probably was my vote, actually. Which I'll explain in a minute. But we have... Blood on the Clock Tower, hee <laughs> hee, you didn't win. Endless Winter, Flamecraft, Foundations of Rome, if that had won, I'd have flipped my lid. Heat Pedal to the Medal, Planet Unknown, same goes for that one, I'd have flipped my lid. Ready, Set, Bet, yeah, right. Uh, Return to Dark Tower, Wayfarers of the South Tigris, and Wonderland's War. Not enough people are playing Ready, Set, Bet for that to be a game of the year. Give me a break. I don't even know if it's even on sale in the UK. I cannot, I don't think I've seen it on the UK, uh, well, I haven't really looked for it, but no, I don't think I've seen it much in the UK at all, ever. So, you can tell that these awards, particularly these Dice Tower ones, are very geared towards the American market. I'm pretty sure on that. You know, most of the people voting on this, and certainly most of the uh, like people playing these games, are probably Americans, I would say. Um, certainly not British. But the Game of the Year went to Heat Pedal to the Medal, and I think I support that because I think I gave my number one to Heat Pedal to the Medal. I think I put my two as Wayfarers of the South Tigris. And my three probably I put down to Endless Winter. So it was pretty easy for me to choose my three out of this. I don't think I would have given Endless Winter a Game of the Year though because of the problems it does have as much as I like it. Wayfarers of the South Tigris I think probably just wouldn't have worked with some people but I do think it's an amazing game and certainly it was one of my favorites I played this year in fact might have even been my second favorite that year so I I gave my number two to it though not my number one I gave it to Heat Pedal to the Metal which technically was my fifth favorite game of the year I think but I had to sort of think well yeah Wafers of the South Tigers might be one I personally enjoy more but when I'm thinking about Game of the Year, you know, I don't know about other people who vote on these lists, but I try to think somewhat objectively here. Game of the Year needs to appeal to a wider audience. And Heat Pedal to the Medal is enjoyed by new gamers, uh, casual gamers, actual gamers. I mean, we played a game of it at uh, the 24-hour marathon, and that was good fun. I think I won by the skin of my teeth. And it, you know, Heat Pedal to the Medal is a solid racing game. It's not for everybody. Not everybody needs to like it, and I can see why you wouldn't like it. But I think it's just very smooth, it has a great solo mode that's easy to pilot, it has modules that you can throw in, uh, the garage modules are really cool, they're worth using. I don't look forward to them expanding it to 8 players, I think that's going to be too much. And certainly I do think a 5-6 player game can drag on a bit, but it's a solid game, it really is a solid game. And I had to think that as much as I prefer Wayfarers as a game... Heat Pedal to the Metal is just that bit more widespread and appealing to more. So I gave my number one to that one. And yeah, 
it won. So I'm kind of cool with that. You know, most of these categories, I'm a little bit disappointed with their uh, winners and entries. But the game of the year is one of the bigger ones. And I do have to give props. I think he kind of deserves it for the appeal and stuff that it's had. So uh, kind of two thirds of this list I'm not particularly happy with. One third I'm more happy with. Um, you know, I do think Frostpunk should have got a bit more love in co-op and solo and theming. I think they got robbed because of this Return to Dark Tower. And I go admit, I will try it. But if I try Return to Dark Tower and I find it a garbage game, you're going to find a nuclear explosion when I come to talk about it on a, on a video. So, uh, you know, you be warned if you show me this game and it turns out to be boring or garbage or broken or just frankly nowhere near as good as any of those other games. You know, it's on you on that one. So, yeah, that was the Dice Tower Awards recently announced. And those are my initial thoughts of the results. Probably the quickest I've ever talked about any awards. It just happened to be convenient timing. I needed to think of a topic for this video. They'd just been announced and I figured, oh, well, that seemed like a pretty good one to do. Nice and easy to get a podcast done. I could use some more topic ideas, though, uh, mainly for discussion topics. So, you know, by all means, uh, Patreons, uh, let me know some questions. You know, you've got the you're on my Patreon, you're on my message board. You can send me a message and you can say, you know, have you considered talking about these topics? But by all means, you know, if you've got something in the YouTube comments, that would be interesting to have as a discussion topic. Of course, make it gaming related, um, you know, make it something that's easy enough to, you know, come up with a 20 30 minute tops discussion on then by all means let me know your thoughts would be cool so that's it for me on this episode of the broken meeple show and podcast i will see you next time by all means check out all the reviews i've mentioned i mean most of the games that i have talked about on that dice tower awards list i have reviewed so there's a lot of content for you to check out of my thoughts on there by all means please do so but check out the recent stuff i've done as well and also check out that world series of board games sponsored video when i do it because it would be good to get some good views on that one but uh yeah, not much else to say. I'm going to do some more content this week. I'll schedule some stuff, hopefully, for while I'm in the Lake District, depending on how much I can get done this week. But, of course, I won't be doing any postings that aren't scheduled during my Lake District holiday. You know, I will be not shut off from the Internet. I will still be on Internet to respond to comments and stuff like that. But, you know, I am trying to reset from video production and editing as well as work for that week in the Lake District. So, uh... I'll be taking my break for that period. It also means that uh, podcast, nah, podcast should be fine in two weeks' time because I come back on the Friday, so I would have rested for Saturday and Sunday I should be able to put out a podcast. So yeah, normal service I think should be resuming at this point. But yeah, could use a topic idea for the um, next podcast, so I'll rely on you all for that, particularly the Patreons who, you know, thank you for sticking with me. I know that the the world economic climate is all over the shop at the moment and certainly a lot of us who use Patreon are getting hit quite negatively because a lot of Patreons are reducing their, you know, monthly thing, which is fine. You've got to look after your loved ones. You've got to look after your own finances and if it's too expensive for you to support at like $10 a month, then cut it down, you know. I mean, I would I would much rather have you know, 150, 200 Patreons that subscribe for a dollar a month. I would love to have that because it's a lot of people and that money adds up, 
rather than having 15 people who pledge $10 a month who can't afford to do $10 a month. You wouldn't notice a dollar a month if you subscribe to a bunch of Patreons or that, but you'll notice $10 a month. So I'm grateful to everybody who subscribes to my Patreon, but it would be nice to get more on my, on my list you know, where you can submit to me your ideas for top 10 lists and your ideas for, you know, uh, discussion topics and things like that. And you can pledge just a dollar a month. That's all you need. A dollar is nothing. But I understand that uh, economy and family and your own well-being is more important. So by all means, you know, pledge responsibly. Uh, but yeah, that's it for me. I'll sign off. I'll see you on the next Broken Meeple video. And until next time, remember... Regardless of how you would have voted for the Dicer Awards had you had the chance, it's still only a game, so whatever. Let's just move on and play the games we do enjoy. Take care, and bye for now, everyone.